Welcome to the Nursing and Midwifery Emporium podcast, a podcast about this nursing life. I'm Nicole Nash-Arnold from Nurse Manager HQ. And I'm Sue Walker from the Nursing CPD Institute. And together each week, we seek out interesting people to discover what a red-hot nursing life looks like. Today our welcome to this Nursing Life microphone is the laughter guy, Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards is a life coach, a pom now living across the ditch whose passion is laughter. He describes himself as the least life coachy person you'll ever meet. He's also a musician. Growing up in Manchester means apparently that you're either a great footy player or a musician. Apparently Gareth's an average footy player, so music it is. Gareth has combined all of these things to provide a very specific specialty to help us in our lives, to reignite that unconditional, uncontrollable laughter that we used to just know how to do as kids and seem to lose as adults. So welcome to the microphone, Gareth. Thank you. Tell me a little bit more about how you came to be so passionate about laughter. Sure, I'd love to. So I've always loved a good laugh. Uh, But I guess the passion for what I do now came pretty much accidentally. Uh, I was at a summer festival and a couple of friends kept saying that I should give this thing called laughter yoga a go. And all weekend in my head, I was like, you know, I don't really need to learn how to laugh. Uh, As you mentioned, I'm a pom. And we kind of pride ourselves that we've got loads of ways to laugh. You know, we've got good comedy, wit, sarcasm, banter. So the idea of, you know, being taught how to laugh was, you know, a little bit like, you know, teaching your granny to suck eggs. (laughs) So, um, so I resisted all weekend, but then the workshop was also for kids as well as adults. So I was there with my son and I thought, you know what, I'll take him along. I'll just drop him off and and hit the beach. Uh, But yeah, then once it started within 30 seconds, I was hooked. Were you really? Yeah, absolutely. Like less than a minute, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. It was just such a reawakening of that, um, yeah, that beautiful, like you said, that beautiful childlike laughter. Oh, it's gold. Um, I heard a statistic in one of the videos that I watched that you did where children laugh three to 500 times a day, but as adults, it's really all around 15 times a day, which is amazing and tragic and sad. What's the science behind that and laughter? Yeah, well, the science is really fascinating. So the first thing to say is it seems that we've evolved two different kinds of laughter. So there's what you might call social laughter, which is kind of like everyday laughter. And then there's this much deeper laughter that's really ancient. So exactly as you said, it's that uncontrollable, contagious laughter, really common in children, less so in adults. And in fact, the most common feedback I get from people who take part in my uh, laughter sessions is that they haven't laughed like that since they were a kid. And so the science suggests that what we're doing in that really deep laughter is that we're responding to the sound of laughter rather than a joke or a funny story. So it involves a much older part of the brain and it feels very different. You know, when you get you know, the fit of the giggles, that it feels different from that kind of general sort of everyday laughter. Mm. And then, yet, yeah, the science, you know, there's research now starting to show some of those kind of intuitive health and social benefits of that really deep laughter. So improving heart health, reducing stress, increasing those interpersonal connections. 
Mm. In fact, that's one of my most favourite research studies is that it shows the results of around 300 patients with lung disease where they compared the lung function improvement from physiotherapy and breathing exercises were no more successful than if you simply participated. In what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, older, deeper part of the brain and that laughter therapy. And I think that's what you're alluding to with the um, the laughter yoga. Because when I read that research study, I thought, what's the go with that? Is everyone just running around tickling people? How does that work? <laughs> so uh, as you can imagine, uh, this laughter thing, this deep laughter, it's a very experiential thing. So if you like, uh, I can talk about it, but we could also just give it a go. Right. Okay. That okay. sounds confronting. So, All right, I'm ready. So buckle in and uh, listeners buckle in. So what we're going to do is we're going to try for around about 30 seconds. And what we'll do is we'll try and avoid talking and we'll just hear the sound of laughter. Okay. So I'm really happy to go first because this God. is my thing. <laughs> <laughs> so we just start with a very simple little laugh. <laughs> like oh god it's is there is an awkwardness around it but you actually you know you can't help it that's exactly but, it yeah so that's so exactly that's what it. happens yeah so it's that's a bit of a journey yoga. yeah so it's a little bit of a journey and that initial awkwardness and that um you know faking it till we make it you know that's that's yeah. a really key part you know and you you were really good and you know if you're listening at home and having a bit of a laugh as well that's really advanced laughter because most of the time, you know, you need to see me. You need to see the silliness of what I'm doing of laughing for no reason. And that helps, yeah. you know, get over the awkwardness. So just doing it with the audio. But I think, you know, this is the, this is the bit about the science. So, yeah. you know, our brains don't know the difference between real laughter and fake laughter. So that's how it works in terms of, I've seen that in a park, I think, this large group of, you know, people in parks. And it's just that literally contagious laughter. Yeah, so we normally start in a session, traditional session, we'll start off really simple, really inclusive, we'll do some clapping games, and just anything, mm. you know, just little little guided activities to get that fake laughter going. But as yep. soon yeah. as, you know, before you know it, I mean, we could probably go back and look at the clock, like, before you know it, something kicks in, and it is, it's that sound yeah. of laughter. So once people warm up, and once the awkwardness has passed, we just dive straight into that laughing with other people laughing. And to be honest, and it is. often the hardest bit isn't to get people laughing, it's to get them to stop at the end. Yeah, really? Yeah. Wow. Because yeah. I see a really massive problem in our industry of nursing, in that back in the day when nurses were hospital trained, they had fun. I mean, they really were seriously mischievous. They worked hard, but they played harder. And somewhere along that journey, the fun died. And I've asked hundreds of nurses why, some say it's the clinical workload, some say it's the patients that are sicker, some say they're worried about being accused of bully. Why do you think it's important that we don't lose the art of laughter? 
Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think I think staying connected to our laughter is incredibly important, especially when we do a tough job like nursing. You know, mm. you talked about that study showing children laugh between 300 to 500 times a day and adults about 15. And, you know, it, it always make me, makes me think, what happens in our lives that takes us from laughing just about every few minutes we're awake to laughing mm. barely once an hour? And I think, I think a big part of it in our Western cultures anyway, is that as we approach adulthood, we get taught that responsibility always means being serious. Yes. So we start taking more responsibility for ourselves and that's fine. And and part of that involves us picking jobs, but we also seem to lose the playfulness and joy of childhood. And then, you know, that's where that deep laughter lives. So all the things that give us joy, like, you know, running after a ball or singing or painting, we tend to reach a fork in the road of, doing it properly or not at all so you live like that for 10 or 20 or 30 years and you know it's not really surprising that we get a bit disconnected from from the laughter that's connected with that but I do think we're on a bit of a tipping point now there's a growing focus on mental health and well-being in the workplace yeah. and there's an increasing role for bringing the laughter back to our working lives mm. And I think that's one of the challenges for us is like for me, for example, I ran in an emergency department for six years and we'd laugh a lot. In fact, on the other occasion, I'd get a patient complaint, which if I'm honest, I can understand. They're lying there with a raging migraine or had a horrible distressing trauma and there's a bunch of nurses joking around in the nurses station. What are your thoughts on that? Should it be behind closed doors only? Yeah, I mean, another really good question. And I think for this one, there's, there's probably no easy answer. Um, you know, for sure, people need to feel respected, especially, you know, if they're unwell or struggling. But again, too much of that seriousness is, is no good either. So no. So for me, it's about that balance, you know. And, yeah. and I know in this context, you know, one of the biggest questions is, you know, are we laughing with each other or at each other? Yes. So, you know, I grew up in England, like you said, and there's loads of comedy and banter. And now when I go home, I really notice how often someone has to lose for the jokes to be funny so mm. you know we either take the mickey out of ourselves or someone else or some other group of people who might be slightly different and so before long it can feel quite cruel that kind of laughter yeah and that's always going to get you into trouble yeah i think so so i think you know it, especially in places like hospitals you know the more laughter that we can share rather than at somebody i think kind of helps balance those things out you know, and it can be hard, you know, I've, I've worked in mental health services for nearly 20 years and we often get that dark gallows humour that some people feel helps with the, you know, some of that tough stuff that we see every day. But I would say this, mm. I think too much of that, you know, can be unpleasant and it also sometimes reflects a workforce that's really struggling to know how, how else to cope, you know, and I think yeah. then we can use laughter really purposely to create different, you know, a different feeling at work. Early in my career, I had a nurse manager who would say to us when we were laughing, sisters, all frivolity ends in sadness. Uh, she really knew how to kill the joy very quickly. How do you think, how important do you think laughter is to building that healthy workplace culture? Yeah, well, I mean, she does sound like an absolute barrel of laughs. Um, <laughs> she was a shocker. <laughs> yeah, I think, I'll, I think I'll keep that phrase and muse on it for a while, for sure. All frivolity ends in sadness. Ends in sadness, I sisters. Mean, to be honest, what it reminds me of, I remember this, you know, so you go back to that childhood laughter. For me, the joy of the unconditional laughter or the laughter yoga 
is it reminds me of laughing with my sisters. I grew up with two sisters. And you know that kind of when you're rolling around on the floor and you're giggling and you're laughing. Yeah. And we'd always get, you know, at some point like, this will all end in tears, you know. <laughs> and, um, and, and maybe it did, but, you know, it, it was an important thing. It was still fun anyway. It is an important oh, thing. It was hugely fun. And I think, you know, I think it's that kind of really stern, almost like Victorian and Edwardian perspective that, that really draws this link between being responsible and being serious and, and literally takes the fun out of things, mm. you know. Mm. You know, work's the biggest part of our waking lives. So it's, it's really yes. crucial we find ways to enjoy it. And, you know, and of course, laughter's a huge part of that. It can help with stress, anxiety, depression, make us feel more connected to the people around us. And, you know, it, it's not just staff who get the benefits. You know, we know it's good for employers too. You know, there's, mm. there's studies out there showing that unhappy workers are less productive by about 10% and happy workers are more productive by about 10%. So that's, that's yeah. like a 20% I mean, boost. Mm. In fact, it leads into my next question about burnout, which is obviously a very clear and present danger for nurses who surviving this career of ours. It's one of enormous emotional labour where we face workplace adversity on a daily basis, mortality, tragedy, moral distress in our patients, but also the stress of the clinical nature and the technical aspects of care delivery can be really demanding. And one of the ways to manage exposure to workplace adversity is knowing to protect ourselves through humour um, as well as decontaminate, which is such a weird word for it, but by developing relationships in and outside of work. And laughter to me seems to be on a real winner for buffering us from that burnout. What do you think are some real strategies we can use to safely bring laughter into our workplaces? Mm, yeah, I mean, I mean, burnout is a, a huge issue in our health sector. You know, like, like most people, I've, I've had my taste of it. And I think, you know, I think some of it comes back to recognising that difference between responsibility and seriousness and finding that balance. So, you know, think about where laughter can come in. It comes down to boosting those two types of laughter that I talked about. So, you know, there's that everyday social laughter about creating sort of relaxed time and spaces in around the working day where people can enjoy some positivity. So for one example, um, you know, when I quit smoking uh, quite a few years ago, I decided to go on sort of walking smoko breaks. So I'd still take the same you know, time off from work that the smokers would take. But I'd go for a little walk with a workmate. And the rule was we could talk about anything but work. So it wasn't yes. about, you know, debriefing that morning's um, incidents or anything that was going on. It was just a purposeful time to get away from the job. Um. Other things I've seen that work, you know, maybe starting meetings or handovers in a fun way. So, you know, even if you can't do the laughter that we just did a few minutes ago, you know, I mean, I remember working uh, when I first came to New Zealand for the Salvation Army. And every shift would start with, you know, a Bible reading or a thought for the day. So, yeah. you know, we could take that time at the start of a busy meeting again, just to sort of pull back a little bit, maybe let some of the natural jokers tell a funny story from the weekend or, you know, an actual joke, just something that says, you know, we've got work to do, but we've also got, you know, we've got people here. And I think creating that space between people and the work is just really, really helpful. Um, so, yeah, taking it to the next level, getting people like me involved, come and develop a purposeful program of joy and positivity that both the staff and the patients can, can benefit from. So a lot of those yeah, studies wow. you see, you know, particularly like, like you know, lung performance and, and others, 
where you see those real health benefits, it's not for the patients, it's for the whole environment. You know, people come in and the more you can involve staff and patients, you just create this sort of atmosphere that used to be reasonably sort of dark and somber and, you know, quite, yeah, sort of melancholy. And you can turn that around and make it a much more positive environment. Because that's what I've read from the um, studies also. It takes the actual act of laughing. Just a lol, that's funny, um, won't do it. It's the action that makes it definitely really beneficial. Definitely. Yeah. Just like we saw a few minutes ago, you know, like first, whatever, mm. 10 seconds, you're like, this guy's laughing. Why is he laughing? <laughs> and then before you know, oh, now I want to laugh. I can't stand it. I couldn't cope with not laughing. <laughs> Um, based on what you know about laughter, what is it that you wish that all nurses, nurses knew so that they can live their best nursing life? Okay, so so I mentioned working in mental health services, but I've also been a patient in mental health services in my 20s. And what I'd really love nurses to remember every day is that it's their humanness and their ability to re- relate to us as people that makes the biggest difference. You know, often, often when nurses meet us, we're in scary and upsetting situations and, you know, we're often just treated as a, a collection of symptoms. So having someone to connect with us in a very human way reminds us that we're human too. And, um, mm. you know, what could be better than that than, than sharing a laugh? Yeah, humour is the great icebreaker, isn't it? Definitely. Gareth, thanks so much for being our guest at the Nursing and Midwifery Emporiums podcast today and sharing with us your brilliance that laughter can bring. Thank you, and uh, keep on laughing. Indeed. (laughs) 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 Thanks, Gareth. So, Sue, what did you think of the laughter guy? Oh, wasn't he funny? I did love uh, the discussion on social laughter, you know, the titter-titter-titter as opposed to the deep, contagious laughter. Yes. Makes much a difference is that um, it has to be that real genuine laughter for that tension release to have the benefits of countering burnout and all the mental wellness benefits. So you have to really you know, give it a red hot go, a real laugh for it to be beneficial. And now you sort of think about it when he made that differentiation. It seems so obvious. It does. But the best part for me was your response when he suggested that you try, um, that you try to laugh. It was like, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. (laughs) I felt like a total goat for about 15 seconds. Uh, but true to his word, and he's an absolute expert, you can't help it. I just started laughing. No, it was funny. And for people uh, listening, like me, listening to you guys, like I started to laugh too. So (laughs) he was so genuine in it though, you know, because I'm thinking, how is this going to work? Is it going to be fake? Is it going to feel forced? Uh, But it was like truly someone having a giggle and then you know breaking out into a you know gut laugh real belly laugh i know it's so beneficial and you can see how important it is can you believe those stats around the fact that kids laugh three to five hundred times a day yet as adults we've paired it right back to 15 yeah that's true that's true but you know jelly doesn't look the same when you're 35 (laughs) 
That's true. <laughs> but no, I think I I I was amazed at um, the percentage rates that he gave. You know, in regards to productivity and those sorts of things. Mm. And I Is really it- like the discussion you had with him. Or you ask the questions, you and I, you were only speaking about this the other week. Like, when is it appropriate to laugh? Yeah, I know. And it is a really hard balance because it, there, the benefits are so obvious. You know, the productivity boost, the fact that that's, that's where culture lives, where you're having a good time, you know, days gone by in the hospital training days. You know, that bond and that network that were created because you went out, you had a laugh, you enjoyed yourself at work, had a real significant, measurable, I would imagine, boost to productivity and outcomes, yet, um, you know, it just it's not always appropriate and you have to be really careful with it. You have to be careful about how you do it. You have to be careful about when you do it. And I liked his differentiation about him noticing that comedy now means that someone has to lose Yes, yeah, and that it's taking the pee out of people as opposed to finding something that we both think is hilariously funny. Yeah. So I, but I do agree it has to be inclusive. Like you can't be at the nurse's desk um, or in the corridor cacking yourself while some poor bugger's just been diagnosed with bowel cancer. Yeah, like no. it has to be inclusive. Otherwise, you're busting to tell someone something that you're going to have a belly laugh over. Then, you know, find an appropriate spot. Otherwise, include the client with you. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think there's plenty of ways that we can play without it being a problem. Yeah, uh, and that balance is really important. And and after I wanted to talk about this, and maybe I'll just do it now. I didn't want to tell this story because I don't want Apple to hear this story and make our podcast explicit but I'll tell the story anyway that I was talking to this nurse who worked in a colorectal ward and she had this 16 year old kid who had just had a bowel resection and a stoma mm-hmm. formed and of course he had no idea how to manage this stoma and she walks into the room and it is just you know burst you know and there's poo everywhere oh, and there's this 16 year old kid who's, you know, the most vulnerable thing and he's got the tears welling up and he just looks at her like he's just in oceans of shame. And uh, so she's standing at the door and she says, hey, uh, poo happens, but the other version um, of it. And um, they both just start laughing. And she said, at that point, you know, the tension was relieved, he was fine, they got in and they bonded. And that's what a therapeutic relationship looks like. But because she was standing at the door, someone walked past and made a complaint about her unprofessional conduct. Um, Yeah, and that's not balance. You know, that's not – she wasn't doing anything wrong. In fact, she was being what I would deem as the most professional nurse about finding a way to bond with her patient and cut through the tension and being able to progress his terrible situation and – with the added bonus of they had a great laugh about it and within a really difficult situation. So, you know, that's the frustration of those sorts of things is that, you know, there were laughter and the fun police have taken things way too, too far, far where it's dangerous. It's almost dangerous to laugh and it's, you know, very unproductive. Whereas, you know, the productivity of laughter that's inclusive and that's beneficial to the patient and it's going to be really beneficial to the team as well. 
Well, she sounds like your nemesis that said, you know, frivolity ends in sadness, you know, yeah. the person that reported her. Mm, I know. That, and that goes against everything he said. Like, And that was lovely. I think that was fabulous when he framed what he would say about a, a fabulous nursing life, when he framed it and said, you know, nurses need to remember that it's the nurse's humanness and mm. their ability to connect at that human level that makes a difference. It's not the pompous, it's not the diagnostic, it's not the task or the, the, mm. the plethora of individuals that come to the bed. It's the person that can be human in the moment and in their experience. And that's yeah. what she was exactly doing. Exactly. And that's the great gift of nursing is that we are given far more social and intimate access to a human being than any other profession on the planet Um, and so therefore there's a trust and a bond that the customer service rules or the professional rules well of course we're always professional but there is something else that needs us to create that bond and that trust and the human part about having a laugh and the social glue of that is unbelievably powerful and it would be an absolute mistake to underestimate that and or term it frivolity or play or pointless or just you know like come on let's do some work that is our work yeah that's right that's right it, that, that is our work it's it's about being human and it's about the exceptionally um, sad times and the happy times and the times that, that you shed a tear but it's also the time where she could a simple one-liner make that yeah. kid at the age of 16 who would have just been absolutely mortified horrified the poor little guy well i'd be horrified at bloody 60 let alone yeah. you know 16 <laughs> when your world's you know uh, everything's vulnerable yeah, and confusing and, oh, where yeah. with those with that one sentence she could you know, break through all that psychological and emotional trauma for him and just get on with it and get it done and, you know, let him see that, you know, whilst it was bad, it could be fixed and and anything can be, you know, it could be fixed. It was fixed. There was no shame. There was no, there was no issue. No. And if she'd taken the very professional, officious approach, he would have sat there just marinating in his embarrassment um and if she had um you know just been really uh technical about it and educated them it would not have solved it she did the exact right thing in that she just burst that bubble and it was gone and they moved on it was a brilliant brilliant nursing strategy um and and perfect proof of the power of laughter that's inclusive and incredibly empowering for that poor little kid And the other thing I took from his discussion, and we should see if the Continuous Quality Improvement Committees of all organisations could do this, is focus on the development of a program of positivity and joy rather than cat bum lip clipboard and pelt bum. Yeah, that's it. What a fabulous um, concept. Ought to be amazing. There is unbelievable opportunity in being able to exploit the knowledge of people like that in terms of how we can progress forward rather than diagnosing what's wrong. Um, you know, we've already so skilled in these areas and that's a way of us learning how to really augment it. Yeah. 
And a lot, look, most of the time, everyone knows what's wrong. Hey, absolutely, they do. We just don't know how to get out of it. And maybe exactly. if we worried less about rigidity and more about joyfulness, mm. you know, it might loosen up people's tongues enough to be able to, you know, talk it through and work out what we need to do. Yeah, I agree. But, yes, I think we should, anyone out there who can cross-stitch, that would make a nice cross-stitch. A program <laughs> of positivity and joy. I like that. I like uh, that saying. We'll keep that one. I think we will. Yeah. On the Hall of Fame, the Nursing and Midwifery Hall of Fame. Excellent. Well, Sue, uh, that was fun and hilarious and momentarily awkward. Um, you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a fabulous moment. That was good. I'll um, catch you next time. All right, look forward to it. See ya. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Nursing and Midwifery Emporium. Make sure you visit us at the website www.nmemporium.com to subscribe to the podcast. And if you'd like to put someone forward for us to interview, go to the same website and just click on the button. See you guys. Take care. Bye.